0: Good evening. Let's
1: let's get started with lesson seven. We just uh, finished off our our longer lesson on uh, the life, uh, humiliation, exaltation of Jesus. We're going to get into now, of course, back in lesson two, we talked about the Trinity, um, this beautiful mystery of who our God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here now in lesson seven, uh, we are going to be picking up on more of uh, the Holy Spirit, who he is, uh, what he does, um, the, uh, what the what the Bible attributes to him as his sort of a responsibility within the Trinity. Um, so we're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit administers grace. Here is our introduction. Uh, imagine that you have a, a birthday approaching, maybe some of you do. Uh, one day you receive a package in the mail from your best friend, Obvious question, who gets the credit that you received uh, a package in the mail that you received the gift for your birthday? Your friend, right? Um, You don't pat yourself on the back when you get the package and say, oh, you know, thank goodness I worked so hard to have a birthday. Otherwise, I wouldn't have this package in front of you. Um, I've always found that sort of strange anyway, right? We give birthday presents the kids were doing I mean the whole reason they're even they even survived another year is because of you right I think mom should probably get most of kids birthday presents that only seems fair and right um but anyway right obvious question who gets the credit well your friend does right they're the one who sent You said uh, you will return to send her on it. You gave it back to the the the, the postman, uh, post lady, and you said send it back. Um, you can't call up your friend a week later and go, hey jerk, how come you didn't send me anything for my birthday? They would say I did. I'm looking at it. You, you, I, I sent it to you. You sent it back to me. Um, why did you do that? Right? Whose fault is it? um then if the gift is not received well it's yours because you sent it back you rejected it right and the point of this illustration is to, to sort of start to help us understand how does this whole thing work we just spent our last lesson looking at who Jesus is what he's done to accomplish our salvation and the question ultimately comes down to okay then if Jesus died for all people then why are some saved and not others Why do some believe and others reject? Um, And and we're going to see it's actually a really challenging question, logically, um, reasonably, right? It's a challenging question because our mind wants to say, well, if this is true, then this has to be true. And what the Bible is going to say is, no, this is true. And then the exact opposite is also true. And the Bible does that for a lot of things, right? It's just a constant reminder that the thoughts and wisdom of God um, are are not ours and are so far above and beyond ours that we simply have to let the word of God speak. Um, And come to answering this question why some, not others? We're going to see that it gives two different answers to two different questions, right? Um, the Bible will say that that those who are saved, it is pure grace. It is gift after gift after gift. God gets all of the credit. Um, but for those who are not believers, those who who uh, um, have not received this, totally rejected it. Okay, um, and and so that's a word in this lesson. All right, so our lesson goal is really going to be to kind of learn more just in general about the Holy Spirit, one of the three persons of the Triune God. We're especially going to learn how the Holy Spirit is responsible for bringing us to faith in Jesus and sustaining that faith in our hearts, all right? Before we do that, though, um, like I said, we heard a little bit about the Holy Spirit. We just sort of briefly, quickly touched on him. I said we'd get back to him in a future lesson, and that future lesson is today, So what we're going to do is just four short, simple passages. We're going to review two things. Number one, who the Holy Spirit is. And number two, uh, the work that the Bible attributes to the Holy Spirit. Okay? So just a couple of passages. Again, Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission. um, Jesus says this, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And if you remember, uh, one of the things that we pointed out in this passage is that it's it's poor grammar, um, it's it's poor, uh, it's not correct linguistically, right? The fact that the word name is singular, but then uh, what comes after it is plural, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It makes no sense if, if somebody, um, you know, met me and my family, and they said, what is the name of your kids? I, I wouldn't say, well, they But there is only one name because there is only one God. And that name is that God is his Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we are talking about God. Okay. Another passage, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. The Apostle Paul says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, implied the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, right? So again, just kind of another reference to the Trinity, that this is who the Holy Spirit is. He is the Spirit of God. He is God.
0: Yep. It's a good one. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right, now what does he do? What, what is the Holy Spirit up to? What is his uh, responsibility? What is his his job, so to speak? Well, there's one word that the Bible repeatedly kind of uses to describe the work of the Spirit. We're going to see it here. Second Thessalonians chapter two um, says this: From the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through in the truth. Um, so this word sanctify, the, the, the spirit's work is called sanctification, right? His job is to sanctify us. And we're going to talk about what that means on the next page, but I just kind of want to reintroduce this word to you. Sanctify. One last passage. Um, 1 Corinthians 6 says it this way. Uh, this is, of course, right after the apostle Paul gives the long list of all of the people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Right, um, and list there. I, I'm I'm pretty certain sins that you and I are guilty of. And he's he's talking to the Corinthians. He's reminding them um, this is who you were, right? Um, and, and he says this is what changed you. This is what made the difference. Verse 11. But you were washed, you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Okay, so what made the difference? What made the change? What took you and me and a world of believers? What took us from unbelief to faith? What took us from darkness to light? What took us from death to life? Um, It is um, that we were washed sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit. He's the one who brought us from death to life, from darkness to light, from unbelief to faith. Okay? And that's really what we're going to get into. Turn the page. Um, uh, the Bible. There are some certain terms and terminology that's just good for us to know and understand. That's true in, in everything, right? I use the example here of sports. Um, you can watch uh, football without knowing what offsides is. I still don't know what offsides is in soccer, and I played soccer for most of my life. I feel like when I see it, that's offside, but then they don't call it. And then when they call it, I go, well, that doesn't, I don't know. Same thing in, in hockey, icing. I feel like I kind of know that, but then when they call it, I, I, anyway. You can watch the sport without knowing all of these terms, but it certainly does help to know them. And it's the same thing with the Bible. You can read the Bible and it will be beneficial to you because the spirit is at work through it. But I think it's helpful to know some terms. And two of the big ones, especially in the New Testament, especially in the epistles of Paul, A number of which we just read from. I should know these. Okay, justify. Um, We talked about this in our class Wednesday night, uh, last night, to Article 4 in the Augsburg Confession on the article of justification by faith. What does it mean to be justified? Um, Like so many of Paul's terms, it is a courtroom term. to be justified is to be declared not guilty. And I use the example of if I'm on trial and the verdict is being read and the judge says, uh, Noah, I find that you were justified in what you did. What is the verdict? You're not... What I want you to know. That's what I what, what the Bible wants us to think of. Um, This declaration is God's promise, it's his announcement over you, that you are justified, is the fact that you are not guilty. Um, Now again, how does all of this happen? Go back to our our last lesson on Jesus, right? None of this in article 4 of the Augsburg Confession states, so beautifully but succinctly, how does this justification happen? How do I get to stand not guilty before God? It is only through the work of Jesus Christ. It is only through faith and not account of what Jesus has done on my behalf and in my stead. Right. Um, Now, when the Bible uses this, this word justify, we see that it uses it sort of in kind of a more broad sense, a more objective sense. And then a more individual, personal, subjective sense. So take a look in your notes there. A couple different ways the Bible uses this. First bullet point, when Jesus suffered the punishment for our sins on the cross, he won the complete forgiveness of sins for all people. It really is, in essence, how do you answer the question? Who is Jesus there on the cross dying for? Whose sins is he paying for? right? Um, you think of a passage like John three sixteen, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You think of a passage like First John, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Paul says this in Romans chapter 3. Um, he talks about how God um, has justified all, right? This is the promise, that Jesus paid the price, won this declaration for all people okay? Um, Humankind, the world, is justified, declared innocent, acquitted at the cross because of Jesus' gracious sacrifice. Sometimes we call this objective justification. It it simply is just saying, here is the objective truth. Here is the objective reality that Jesus has paid the price for the world's sin. Now, again, we're going to get into this in a little later, but, but come back to that question again. Why are some saved and not others? If Jesus has only paid for the sins of those who are ultimately saved, then then at least part of the answer to the question, why are some not saved? Then the answer has to be, well, because Jesus didn't pay for their sins, because Jesus didn't do enough, right? Right? And, and, and so when we get to answering that question and we say, well, no, it's all going to be thrown on the fault of the individual, on the sinful human being, it has to be, it can't be because Jesus has failed in some way, right? Um, and so this is what we see in objective justification. Just the objective truth is this, that Jesus died for the sins of the world. You can go up to any person meet in your life and say god loves you and when they say how do you know
0: that you just
1: can't say that you 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 at best have to say well i think god loves you how do you know well because jesus died on a cross and maybe it was for you well how will i know if it's for me well only if you believe you see, it's I'm a person that you've got to do something in order to contribute to your salvation. You see how all of that back and forth kind of goes, right? Okay.
0: Election,
1: all that stuff. Totally. Yeah. Well, and that's really what the passage on the, on the previous page, right? From the beginning, God chose you to be saved, right? That's election, right? Um, that's predestination. It's all there, right? And it only applies, notice, to whom? only applies to those who are saved, right? Predestination, election, that does, right? When we're talking here about justification, we're talking about this, 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 this kind of foundational, not kind of, this foundational doctrine of scripture, right? Um, that God so loved the world that he sent his son to die for the world, right? Now look at the second one though, because the natural follow up to that, to the object of justification is then, Well, then everybody must be saved. If Jesus died for and paid for the sins of the world, then everybody must be going to heaven. Not so fast. Um, Here's also when the Bible starts to narrow down that justification. It says this, however, blessings of Jesus' atoning sacrifice only become ours when we are brought to faith in Jesus. We are saved from sin and hell through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Sometimes we call this um, subjective justification, right? Um and 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 John 3:16 is just again it's it's the most well-known verse, and for good reason, it so perfectly states this God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Well, okay, then is everybody going to be saved? No. Jesus says that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life, right? You, you are not going to be lost, you are not going to be condemned because God did not do something, did not do enough to save you. God's the world and that means you marriage would have eternal life um and so this is when we start to get uh, uh romans 3 verse 24 talks about how um, all are justified freely by his grace but of course then in, in chapter 4 right romans chapter 4 paul's going to get very specifically into this there there is no the benefits and blessings of justification only become yours through faith in Jesus Christ, okay? Similar to that is the word sanctify, okay? Um, The Bible uses it in sort of a wide sense and again, kind of a a very narrow sense. Um, The first one there, when the Holy Spirit calls us to faith, Jesus' righteousness is credited to me. When God now looks at me, he sees Jesus' holiness and not my sin. So um, I I like to kind of ask people, especially people who are kind of new to the Christian faith, um, I like to say, you know, are you a saint? And they say, oh, no, no, not me, Pastor. Um, You know, um, I I sure would like to be someday, um, but that's reserved for Peter, Paul, you know, Mother Teresa. They want to bring up all these people that come to mind, these uber good Christians, right? Right. Of course, if you, you know you can read your Bible, you realize pretty quickly Peter and Paul were not always great. That's kind of the point. But the word here, sanctify, is something that is applied to every believer in Christ. That when you were brought to faith, this is what the Holy Spirit did. This is what God declared, that you were washed, you were sanctified. And what does the word sanctify means? It means to meet, to make, or to declare holy. Literally, it means to set something apart. Um, and, and what's interesting is I, I see this now. My my son um, is getting into well, I, I call them sports cards. Uh, you know, I, I was a I was a sports card collector when I was a kid, but he's not doing sports cards. They're they're of like different. Um, Pokemon, Pikachu, these characters or whatever, which I'm excited that he's into trading cards, but it crushes me that it's not into sports. Hopefully we'll get there. But anyway, um, he's got a book. He's got a binder with all the cards. And every day, this is just him. Every day he moves them around. He's got to put them in different pockets. He's got to put them in different orders. He's got to shape and kind of order them in different uh, categories and by color and by character and things like that. But there's one card, his gold card. He always sets out and leaves at the end, and that one goes in the most prominent spot. He's sanctifying that card, right? He's setting apart that card as special. Um, this is what God does for you. He has set you apart from this sinful world, he has claimed you as his very own. He has declared you to be a saint. In his sight. So we don't have to wait for a bunch of years after you die. Um, we don't have to wait for some church council, we don't have to try and see how many miracles you perform in your life before saint status is given to you. That was actually given to you at your baptism, right? You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified, right? When you were brought to faith, when you were made a believer in Jesus saint status is given to you it was written over your mouth okay so that's kind of like the the wide understanding the general understanding that you are a saint that you are sanctified. it is a done deal okay but the bible also talks about this sort of as being kind of a process look at the second bullet point after the holy spirit has brought me to faith he leads me to want to follow god's will more and more each day I strive to live a life of sanctification according to God's standards. This is the narrow definition of the word sanctify. And we're going to study that more in depth um, in in some of the last lessons um, of this class. So it's sort of like this, you know, sanctification. A lot of people have different different definitions or um, uh, explanations for what does a life of sanctification mean? And the way way that I like to explain it is just simply this. Um, It is living the life that God has called you to live. It it is not necessarily striving to accomplish something as much as it is simply just being what God has called you to be. Right? God has sanctified me. So I live that sanctified life. God has, has told me I'm a holy person. Um, so I, I do holy things, right? Um, now, this is something that, yeah, we grow and it increases. I would say this is a process as much as, um, as, as, as it is anything else, just simply because this is sort of the way the Bible describes it, that, that on this side of heaven, we are growing in our lives of sanctification. And maybe you'd notice this sort of, you go back to, you know, your teenage years or your college years or, you know, when you first became a Christian. um, You believed in Jesus, but you weren't necessarily sure yet about living a Christian life. What does that look like? You still had your wants. You still had your desires. You still had your your white lies, your pet peeves your um, and you weren't sure that you'd ever get rid of those things. But as you continue to grow and mature in faith, your wants, your wills, your desires start to line up more with God's word so that it's not as much of a fight against temptation, against your sinful nature when it comes to being the person that God has called you to be. Now, the reason I say it's a process is because on this side of heaven, you're never going to get there. You're never going to get there where sin is just a part of heaven. This is why the, the Lutheran reformers would say that, that we are on the side of heaven always at the same time sinner and saint. Simul justus et I am at the same time justified, but I'm also a sinner. Um, and, and it won't be until you and I are, are welcomed into glory um, when, when that sinner goes away, right? Yes, what
0: question do you have? Which is? Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Missy's question is just to her, it seems like she's been in a lot of churches. It seems to her like Lutherans are the only ones who who kind of teach objective justification. Um, And I think that 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 probably in in a lot of senses is is true. Um, Now, again, I'm not saying that Lutherans are the only Christians or that none of those people are are churches that you were a part of, um, you know, we'll we'll see in heaven. But I, I think they grasp and they understand the gospel in the sense that um, jesus died for the world but there's always a hook right there's always like they're fine setting that table but they want to yank out the tablecloth at the end and say but it really only is for x y and z right and i would say this is (laughs) So many people, I think, oftentimes we we think like, well, if we preach the law, it's really going to offend people. We call people sinners, and we say, you know, when we have the confession of sins, that's going to turn people off. And maybe I've kind of shared this with you. I I think, and 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 I think Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul, would agree in First Corinthians chapter one. What is the great offense of the Bible? What is the the stumbling block that Paul uncovers in 1st Corinthians chapter 1 it really is the gospel um it is the cross he says which is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles um and why is that well because what we're saying is that Jesus has paid the price in full and then you don't give the people anything to do or contribute and that to me is offensive I, if if I made the mess then tell me how to clean it up right if, if I broke it tell me how to fix it and I will right and and this is the thing that nags at the human nature that 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 I'm responsible for my own damnation but I don't get a lick of praise for my salvation that is offensive right um, and so, yeah, I, I think this is just w- when when you preach the gospel, to just let that matzo ball hang out there is a hard thing to do, right? Um, my natural inclination, it, it's, it's even hard for me. You, you just, you kind of want to go, you know, when I, when I say the words of absolution, for example, I forgive you all your sins, right? There's a part of me inside that just wants to go, now, understand what this means, people, right? This is not the green light to go back out and dive headlong, you know, back into your little pet sins. Um, but the gospel doesn't say that, right? The gospel just says it is finished, right? Um, that's offensive. That's offensive to my to my sinful nature. Um, and so I would say even... Even the best of Christians, Lutherans included with that. Just let the will be the gospel. So let the declaration of grace get the final say, right? Um, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, Ryan just said there's there's no Lutheran detective TV shows because they never solve the mystery. Yeah. That's a good point. We let let tension remain, right?
0: Let a resolve.
1: I got to come to an answer. And Luther just said, I'm okay with there being tension. I'm okay with God telling me two things that in my puny human brain seem to contradict one another. But in God's mind, they work perfectly well. And so God is God and I am not. Um yeah. Um <clears throat> right. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So the, the follow-up Mitzi mentioned, you know, it kind of goes along the lines of um the question, you know, can can you lose your salvation? Um and, and some Christians would say, no, once saved, always saved, right? There's nothing you can do to, to buck that. And, and I say, yeah. And, and I think here's kind of the point, and this is where it gets difficult, right? I think it all depends, and this goes back to, I've been referencing this book a lot, but this goes back to that, that book by um, the American Lutheran, um, C.F.W. Walth, with The proper distinction between law and gospel. And and his key in kind of answering that question, can someone lose their salvation? His, his answer to that would be, well, it depends who I'm talking to. And, and, and what he means is, if I have, and, and, I, and I had this this week, two of them actually, I had two individuals who were afraid that they were losing their salvation. Those are not the people in the moment that I am going to say, you know what? Yeah, you really can. You better watch out. Um, You should be terrified. Those are the people I am going to preach the gospel to and give the assurance that Scripture gives that 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 the world. God chose to save you through the sanctifying word. This, this is not some random happenstance that you're a Christian, right? God planned this from before the creation of the world. Um, I'm gonna say something like, um, you know, in, in the prophet Isaiah, a bruised reed, he will not break a smoldering wick, he will not snuff out, right? I'm going to to preach the gospel to you like there is no shot in hell you could ever lose your salvation. Now, if I have somebody who is saying, thanks, pastor, for baptizing me, for confirming me. Um, I'm out of here. I'm going to go live my life. I'm going to go sow my wild oats. I'm going to go do what I want to do for 20, 30, 40 years. Um, And then when it's time for me to kind of settle down and start a family, I'll be back. Guess what? Um, That will shipwreck your faith. The salvation you are so confident of, I'm fairly confident it will probably go away um it's 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 this picture that the bible so often uses of a plant that's what faith is right and if you're telling me that you're going to spend the next 20 30 40 years not only not watering that plant not giving that plant sunlight not feeding it with the word of god but that you're going to go out and do all of the things that are going to work contrary to your faith, let me tell you how that story ends Right? So that's why I'm saying it it kind of depends on who you talk to. Now, just factually speaking, can somebody who was a true believer in Christ fall away and not be saved? Yes. The Bible Bible speaks of that. James talks about it. The book of Hebrews talks about it. The Apostle Paul talks about people um, who have shipwrecked their faith, right? Um, This is not a faith in quotations, right? Well, you weren't really Christians in the first place. No. He talks about them as saints, he talks about them as former brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, So yes, that is a possibility, but it all depends on who I'm talking to, right? So so this is why I I tell people who kind of have a Calvin background, you know, perseverance of the saints, one of the the five marks of Calvinism, right? The the P and tulip. I would say, I I can agree with that um, on, on premise right? Because this is the reality when it comes to the elect, when it comes to this is the the promise that God makes. It's, It's not going to be your faith and your work that perseveres, but God's promise to keep you strong till the end. On the other hand, I know what kind of the underlying root system of that doctrine for a reform looks like. And it is, yeah, no, if if you're, you know, you are a good to go, right?
0: Um yeah.
1: sure. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that a little bit more later on um in 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 this lesson and, and even more so um in a in a future lesson. Um, we'll kind of talk about that that very thing. The different ways that different Christians handle this. Why are some saved and not others? And and we'll kind of go back to the Bible and just simply say, here it is, right? Um, good questions. Yeah, appreciate it. Pastor. Heavy questions. Um, appreciate it. I like it.
0: Pastor. All
1: right. Um, so is there, does somebody have something online? Um, it's Christy. Oh, yeah. Hey, um, when you just said um, before being what God has called me to be, you you said that is a definition for sanctification. So um, sanctification on a wide sense or a
0: big sense is being holy, being um, a saint, I guess we said, but In a different circle, I I, I'm not saying this very well. I know, but being what God has called me to be, are we talking more like on a day to day situation then,
1: which would be like a smaller circle? Uh, Again, I don't think I'm using. Not really. Um, What what I mean by that simply is just, um,
0: I'm I'm living.
1: this this idea specifically what does that look like and what does that entail and how do I do this it it just simply means in, in a general way um because God has declared me holy because he has made me his saint this is now what my life necessarily will be it will be a sanctified life um, it, it is a life of a saint. Um, now, again, this is where it gets challenging because I'm also still a sinner, right? Um, but I think sometimes we, we forget that comfort. We forget that strength, that power that comes from when I look back at the end of the day and I look back at, 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 at how well I did at being a Christian or living a sanctified life right? I, I, my temptation will be to say, well, I, I messed it all up. Um, I failed in, this way, in that way and 10 other ways to Sunday. But, but this is, I think, that, that kind of comforting declaration. That's why I don't really like, I don't really want to separate these two so much um, that, you know, maybe two sides of the same coin. When it comes to living a life of sanctification, again, the power from that, the strength from that, the, the, the strength to do that is only going to come not from my strength, not from my will. The strength to do that is only going to come from the declaration that God has made over me. So like we're going to talk more, like I said, in future lessons on specific ways that you live a life of sanctification. right We'll talk about vocation. Um, we'll, we'll talk about different areas in your life specific examples of how we can live out our faith but i think here in just a general way i'm just talking about um you know uh sort of what jesus says a good tree bears good fruit and 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 so that's what it is so as a christian i know there are good and god-pleasing works that pour out from my life when i look back on my day i might not see it um I might not remember them I might not recognize them but Jesus says I have made you to be I have declared you to be a good tree therefore necessarily there will be good fruit in your life because God has declared it
0: to be Okay So I
1: don't yeah I will like I said we'll we'll get into more specific examples in kind of a way my point here is just to say this is part of the promise this is part of the declaration right that god has set you apart and here's what necessarily that will mean for your life because god will work those things in you god will do that god is the one who has planted this good tree who's made this good tree who produces this good fruit
0: okay All right,
1: we're going to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. So the fifth book of the New Testament. Um, Little intro there in your notes. The day of Pentecost is one of the major festivals in the Christian church. Um, in fact, it is considered as important as Christmas and Easter for many Christians. It really should be. Um, it is the oldest. Church, um, not that it historically happened first, but when you actually look back on and say, what was the first festival that Christians gathered together to celebrate? Pentecost was it, right? So we can say this is really kind of the first one. And that's why a lot of people often sometimes describe Pentecost also as being kind of the birthday of the Christian church. So this is a a major festival um, within Christendom, um, and and it is here 50 days after um, the the, the death of Jesus Christ. So you've got uh, the resurrection on the third day, Um, 40 days after the resurrection, you've got the uh, ascension into heaven, and 10 days after that, or 50 days after Easter, We've got now um, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to read through this in just a couple of points. Again, just kind of focusing this lesson on the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, uh, they were all together in one place. Um, that, that's all the disciples, who were there in Jerusalem. Um, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together and each one of them heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? And it goes through the list of where all the people were coming from. Next couple of verses. Um, go down to verse 11. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed. They asked one another, what does this mean? They said, they have had too much. Uh, Then Peter stood up with the 11. Notice the difference where we last left off Peter, right? Denying Jesus. 50 days later, here's what Peter's doing. He stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All right. Um, So that is just kind of a, a quick look at the account of Pentecost. Take a look in your notes, just a couple of things. If you're kind of wondering more about this, some background. Passover was originally an Old Testament Jewish harvest festival that occurred 50 days after the Passover. Um, It was one of the few festivals that required um, sort of all Jews who were able to make the trek to Jerusalem, right? To to, to meet at the temple. Um, And so you wonder why are all of these Jews from all over the world, right? Why are they making their way to Jerusalem? this is why right um it, it, it brought that uh, a lot of people Jerusalem which is probably one of the reasons why God chose to give the church a special jump tar- start at this particular time so think about this right you've got all of these people coming to Jerusalem the disciples are sharing the wonders of God the message of the gospel with them you, you go on and read the rest of Peter's sermon there in Acts chapter 2 he talks about who Jesus is and what he's done to accomplish salvation um and then what do those people do? They go back to their country and then they start sharing. And you watch how this promise that Jesus made on his ascension tells the disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And already 10 days later, this is already happening, right? Um, pretty powerful thing. Note the three miracles that marked the Holy Spirit's miraculous arrival. Um, The sound of wind. Now, this is really interesting because the Bible's word for wind and spirit are the same. Right? Um, And and pneuma is the the Greek word, for example. And what's interesting is that this is the word that distinguishes the living from the dead. You can't be a dead person and have pneuma. You can't have the breath of life. You can't have the spirit. So, where the Panoima, where the breath of life, where the Holy Spirit is, there you will find a living being. And this goes all the way back to creation. You think about when God formed the ground, what did he do? He didn't do what he did with all the rest of the things in creation. He didn't just say, let there be Adam, and Adam got up. He breathed into his nostrils Panoima, the breath of life. And the man became a living being. So th- think about what this means as we consider, we hear this loud wind and this outpouring of the spirit. And what is he doing? He's taking a flame of fire. Um, speaking in different intelligible languages. And I think that's important to note, right? Um, That this is not just um, charismatic gibberish, right? Um, The the people themselves, the, the accusation that the disciples were drunk and were speaking slurred nonsense makes no sense when the people who are there and understood the languages said, they're talking our language right? I mean, this is just another, you know, kind of gutless attack on, on, on individual Christians. Um, you've been around people who are drunk. You've been around people who speak a different language. It's pretty obvious to tell the difference, right? Um, when, when, um, you know, I, my family and I, when we go to Disney World or, or Disneyland, or when we, we live in Utah, we would hike a bunch of, um uh, you know, the national parks there. We'd be the only people speaking English. Um, I didn't walk around and go, man, all these people are hiking drunk. That's really impressive. Um, no, you can tell the difference, right? Um, so yeah, they're speaking here intelligible languages. This is, a, this is a gift that the spirit gives, right? To spread the message of the gospel. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So the question is kind of, you know, where, where do these, these gifts, not the charismatic gibberish, but the legit, you know, gift of the spirit, uh, the the ability to speak in tongues, um, you know, are these things that can still be done? Yeah. Um, it's, It's the difference between, and I think this is, this is the point, right? It's the difference between saying, can God still bless people with these gifts? absolutely there's no reason to doubt or deny that the problem becomes when the majority of of people who still hold to the speaking in tongues it it, it's so much more than just well god can bless people with this i mean I've, i've i've brought people out of pentecostalism for example um and almost all of them have admitted i faked speaking in tongues for decades I could never le- legitimately do it. And not only could I not legitimately do it, but people told me if I couldn't legitimately do it, then I didn't have the spirit and I wasn't truly a believer, right? So I, I would say that's where it goes overboard, right? So saying, no, God cannot do this, he will not do this, he does not do this, we, we don't go that far. Um, absolutely, God can still do this. You-, you-, you see the point and purpose of it here though, right? Um, a, I would say, it, it is to, to simply share the message of the gospel and to show the power of this, 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 this kingdom of God. Um, is, is, is that kind of visible presence still something that God can do? Of course. Um, is it something that we absolutely necessarily need to see him do in order to have the confirmation of the Spirit's presence? No. And and I would say, again, the majority of people who still practice this speaking in tongues, again, A, it's not a real language, meaning it's not a conversable, right? Uh, I'm going to go over to a foreign country and speak their language to them as the spirit enables me. No, it's this language. um, From what I've been told is it's the language that God gives you so that you can speak and pray And the devil won't understand you. And and I think, okay, I understand why you think that would make good sense. But sometimes I, all the times, I want the devil to hear my prayers. I want him to know I'm actively fighting against him. With the, I kind of preached on this in the sermon on Sunday, right? Um, To use the full Is to actually pray against those those enemies um i want the devil to know i'm not lying down taking this you know i'm fighting against him one of the ways i'm doing that is in prayer um number one number two if the devil knows every language on earth i don't know it just it seems like a strange way to kind of invent and insist on something but i would say more so this is the thing that that i've noticed is um you, you really, you tear us away. That's kind of the, the sad thing, you know, a reference to people came out of it and said, I, I never thought I was actually a Christian because I couldn't do the one thing that they said, if you truly are a Christian or truly are a believer, then this is what you'll be able to do. And I didn't want them to think I wasn't a Christian. I, I believed I wanted to believe, but I couldn't do it. So I had to fake it. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So uh no, I wouldn't say cessation in the sense that it can't happen anymore. Um, but I would say um, it isn't something that we are looking for as evidence of the spirit's presence. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. Um <clears throat> the last the last bottom two lines there, bullet points in your notes, page 48. I'm on. Peter, uh, the usual spokesman for the disciple, he addresses the the curious and the skeptics in the crowd. He quotes the Old Testament prophet Joel, and and he's really kind of prophesying two different things. The first half of the quotation is the events of Pentecost Day. So you notice verse 17 and 18, there's this, this, this repetition of the outpouring of the Spirit, right? And here's the fulfillment of that. Right, men and women were receiving the gift of the spirit here, meaning they were being brought to faith. Um, and then the last two verses, um, those are looking ahead to judgment day, right? Um, so if you're wondering why you haven't seen the sun turn to darkness and the moon to blood, um, and and blood and billows of and fire and billows of smoke, if you haven't seen that yet. Um, it's because this is a last day right it's coming and so here's kind of the challenge right um it's a little easier for you and me to differentiate because we are living in the end times right we're not waiting for anything else to happen before judgment day judgment day could happen at the end of this class it could happen tomorrow it could happen jesus could return at any moment there's nothing left we're waiting for jesus to accomplish and finish before he returns um so we're living kind of in this in-between time as we're in end times. We see in the past, Pentecost, that happened back then. And we look off into the future and we say, at some point in the future, judgment day is gonna happen. But but notice that the people who are living here in the, in the first century, Peter, he talks about those, really Joel is talking about those from even a further back perspective. Joel is looking ahead into the future, and he just sees the end times. And what does he see? The, 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 the spirit is going to come. Pentecost is going to happen. And the end will come. And, and I kind of use the example of if you, were, if you were standing, looking down like a mountain range, you would look and see mountain peak after mountain peak after mountain peak. And it would look to you like they were one on top of the other. But if you would come down and you would stand and see the breadth of that mountain range, you'd say, Oh, well, actually that one's there. And that one's way off in, in the distance, miles past it, right? It's all your perspective. You and I are living right here. We can see that's when the outpouring of the Holy spirit was, and this is when judgment day is going to be sometime in the future. And there's a 2000 year gap at least between those. And we say, well, you know, Maybe Joel was just a little mistaken. He thought Pentecost was going to happen, and then the end would come. No, this is just his perspective, right? Looking off into the future, looking at the end times as sort of one period of time. You and I are living in its midst, right? Um, so, so it shouldn't be this kind of you know. Why did Joel think it was going to happen? You know, one after the other. Um, that's that's his perspective. The last one, um, if you look ahead to verses thirty-seven through forty-one. Um, in Acts in chapter 2 there, we see that the crowd thankfully took Peter's message to heart. Um, it tells us that the, the, the people were cut to the heart um, and, and asked, uh, what shall we do? And this is getting into a future lesson, but Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off for all whom the Lord our God will call. Many other words Peter warned them, pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. All right. So we'll talk about baptism, but we're also going to reference that passage later on in this lesson um, as well when it comes to faith. Um, So we'll stop there. That's kind of a good stopping point there. Um, Just about a little bit more than halfway through this lesson. Um, so we'll break down faith a little bit more next week. Um, this was kind of just more so on the Holy Spirit, um, but we'll get into that gift of faith next week. All
0: right. last year
1: Right there? Yeah. All right. Good well, time. we're making good time. All right, I like it. Cool. All right, sounds good. Thanks everybody. Have a wonderful evening. Good night.